The Story of Archibald by Eudora Russell. It was the week after Christmas at the North Pole, and Santa Claus's elves, after a mini vacation, came back to the workshop to start making toys and gifts for the next Christmas. Their first project was a big rubber ball. Since they were rested and in high spirits, they decided to make this ball special. They put two extra scoopfuls of bounce into it and painted a face on it. There were two big brown eyes with a merry twinkle in them, two dots for a nose, two shell-like ears, a happy smiling mouth, and to top it off, they gave his head a coat of carrot-colored hair with a cute curl on his forehead. He was so special and real, the elves decided to give him a name. Since he was their first project, they knew he would be filed under A. They thought of Andrew, Arthur, or Anthony. Just then, he was accidentally dropped, and the extra bounce they had put into him caused him to arch so high he touched the ceiling of the workshop. So the elves said, "Well, he chose his own name. What else could we call him except Archie?" So Archibald he became. They printed his name right under his chin. What the elves did not know was that the eyes, ears, and nose of Archie really worked, and he could hear what they were saying, see what was around him, and smell things, both good and bad. The elves' next statement put fear into Archibald's carrot red head. He heard the elves say, "It's a shame, since he is an A, that he will be filed as the bottom ball in the bottom bag in the bottom box in the warehouse under everything else until next Christmas Eve, when Santa Claus will take him to his special kid." Well, I don't want to be the bottom ball in the bottom bag in the bottom box in the warehouse," thought Archie. What can I do? Before they placed him in the bag, and because Archie smiled at them so eagerly, the elves gave him a few tosses among themselves. Just then, someone opened the big warehouse door to bring in a truckload of supplies, and Archie hit the floor and bounced right out the door. It was a cold world out there. There was ice everywhere, but Archie bounced well on the ice. He bounced high and wide, and saw many interesting things with his twinkling brown eyes, like herds of caribou looking for food, and occasionally, when he was bouncing low, a few polar bears that were almost as white as the ice and snow. On his high bounces, he leaped over some snow-capped mountain peaks. First, he saw some small bushes. And then came forests of bigger trees. He rolled right up against one and found himself caught in a pocket between two large roots. When he was stopped, he could not get himself bouncing again. He was rather tired from all his journey, so was glad for a chance to rest. That same day, a big snowstorm developed, and Archie was covered with more than a foot of snow. He thought. This is not the best situation to be in,、uh, but it is better than being the bottom ball in the bottom bag in the bottom box in the warehouse for almost a year. 
He needed a good rest anyway, so he decided to pretend he was a bear and hibernate until spring. Speaking of bears, the next thing Archie knew, he was being poked at by the nose of a big brown bear that had just come out of hibernation and was looking for food. The bear was curious about that orange-colored thing lodged between two tree roots. He gave Archie a big poke and sent him bouncing again, and Archie smiled happily at escaping the bear and being on the move again. He had extra energy from his long winter's nap and was soon bouncing over forests, fields, and orchards. He saw budding trees putting on their new spring clothes. He saw and smelled the lovely pink and white blossoms of the peach and apple trees. He saw the new green carpet that was sprouting in the wheat fields. It was a beautiful, wonderful world, and he thought, I wouldn't have seen any of this if I had stayed the bottom ball in the bottom bag in the bottom box in the warehouse. About this time, Archie saw he was approaching an ocean. He thought, Oh, what will I do? He was sure he could not bounce well on the water. But just then, a boat appeared and he landed on the deck. He was caught by one of the sailors. Saved again. Many people paid big prices for a cruise on the ocean, and Archie was getting one for free. It was a fishing boat, and when the crew were not busy with hauling in fish, they would throw Archie back and forth, which was fun for all. A few times, someone failed to catch him, and Archie took a swim, but they rescued him with their fishnets. Most of the time, the boat life was great, but there were a few drawbacks. One was the smell. Sometimes on a hot day, the fish smell made Archie wish his nose was not so sensitive. And a few times when the crew landed a big fish on the deck, the fish flapped with its tail right against Archie's face. That wasn't very pleasant, but it was still better than being the bottom ball in the bottom bag in the bottom box of the warehouse. When the fishing boat came to port... Archie said his farewells and began to bounce through the town until he came to a railroad where one bounce took him to the top of a freight car. About that time, the car started to move. Archie found that the top of the car was a good point from which to view the world. Instead of using his bounce to see the country, he could do it from the top of the train. He could save his bounce for the kid he hoped to find. He stayed there for several days. He saw deserts. He funneled through mountains. He saw ranches with many cattle. He saw cornfields, small towns, big cities, and much, much more. He rode that train all the way from the west coast of the country to the east coast. His eyes had seen so many sights. His ears had heard so many sounds. And his nose had smelled sweet smells and also polluted air. He couldn't talk because the elves had painted him with a closed mouth. But he still kept his big smile. He had just seen a wonderful country, after all. Just then, the train stopped with an unusually hard jerk. Archie was not on guard. The jerk threw him off, and he started bouncing again. He bounced along until he suddenly realized he was coming to an ocean again. He managed to land up against a sand dune. This dune was near a beach where children came to play. Often they would play with him. This made Archie very happy, and he wished one of them would take him home with him. But they never did. 
Each child thought that they belonged to someone else, so they left him on the beach. School started, and the weather turned somewhat cooler, so that fewer and fewer people came to the beach, and Archie was lonesome, but thought, oh, This is still better than being the bottom ball in the bottom bag in the bottom box of the warehouse. Uh, but not much. Dark clouds rolled in overhead. Torrential rain came down. The winds became very strong. It was a hurricane. A strong gust of wind started Archie rolling and bouncing again. He bounced right down the middle of the highway. A big truck barely missed hitting him, and the driver said to himself, What in the world was that? Archie was shaking because of his narrow escape. He gave a little bounce to the side, and landed right in a big pile of pumpkins at a local market. The way he landed, his face was down, and his carrot-top head was all that showed. He looked almost exactly like one of the other pumpkins. For days he heard children come by to pick their choice of pumpkins for their jack-o'-lanterns, but no one chose or even noticed Archie. A new load of pumpkins was unloaded right on top of him. Lots of pumpkins were carried away by happy girls and boys, but Archie was becoming unhappy. It was hard to keep that smile on his face, and for the first time, he began to wonder if it would have been better if he had stayed in Santa's warehouse. But no, he couldn't bring himself to say, I should have stayed and been the bottom ball in the bottom bag in the bottom box. In December, it turned very cold, and the owner closed the open-air market. The pile of pumpkins was still there, and that night it became so cold, every pumpkin froze. A few warmer days followed, and the frozen pumpkins turned squishy. The squishy pumpkin got in one of Archie's shell-like ears, and into one twinkling brown eye, and smelled bad. It also wiped the smile right off his face. The market's owner said, I have come to get rid of this mess. He had a man with a pickup truck come by and shovel the frozen pumpkins, Archie included, into the truck to take to the dump. It was Christmas Eve and the pickup was going through part of the city to reach the dump. Archie was very sad. He was thinking, Here I am, dirty and smelly, going to the dump on Christmas Eve. Oh, maybe it wouldn't have been so bad in the warehouse. He finally brought himself to say, I wish I had stayed there and been the bottom bottom bag in the bottom. Just then, kaplung! Archie was jarred out of his thoughts and out of the truck because the truck hit a huge pothole in the street. Now in the city lived a little boy named Jax. He lived with his mother in an upstairs apartment. His kindergarten was dismissed for Christmas vacation, and Jax was eagerly awaiting Santa Claus to come. His mother worked in a store on the corner, but the morning after the hard freeze, she went out to go to work and had slipped on some ice on the street and sprained her ankle. She had been helped back up to her apartment and was able to hobble around on crutches, but could not manage the rather steep steps. A neighbor lady, who sometimes babysat and played games with Jax, had brought in the groceries that were needed and had invited them to have Christmas dinner with her. Jax's mother had read stories to him, and he had told her some of the stories he had learned at school. They had a good week together. 
But both of them were restless from being inside too long. There were two special things Jacks wanted for Christmas. The first was a Christmas tree. They didn't have a fireplace where he could hang his stocking, so he wanted a nice Christmas tree where Santa Claus could leave his presents. To help entertain Jacks, his mother suggested they make some decorations for the tree she hoped to get by Christmas. They made some paper chains, some bows, and a big star covered with aluminum foil for the top. His mother's ankle was improving rapidly, and she was sure by Christmas Eve she would be able to pick out a tree and get it delivered. The second thing Jacks wanted for Christmas was a big rubber ball. Not just any ball, but a really nice one with lots of bounce. His mother had bought several little gifts for him and also had a nice warm jacket and cap hidden away to give him on Christmas morning. He had just about outgrown the ones from last year, but she had not been able to find the special ball and hoped Santa Claus would help her find one. Although her ankle was much better by Christmas Eve, she did not get to go shopping for the tree or the ball because the weather was so bad. The rain came down by the bucketfuls, and the wind was very gusty. She said to Jax, I'm so sorry, we won't have a tree, but it is just not safe for me to go out in this wind and rain. Jax hugged his mom and said, I can get along without a Christmas tree, but I couldn't get along without you. Christmas morning came. The rain had stopped and it had turned colder. In fact, there was a light frosting of snow on the ground and trees, which gave everything a Christmas look. Jax and his mother read the Christmas story and then opened their gifts. Jax was very proud of his new cap and jacket and the warm gloves from the neighbor lady. Jax's mother liked the pencil holder Jax had made her at kindergarten and the pretty blouse the friend gave her. Jax got several other nice toys and games, and the people at the store where his mother worked sent them a big basket of fruit and goodies. It was a nice Christmas, and Jax did real well at not showing that he was disappointed because he didn't have a Christmas tree or get a special ball from Santa Claus. After all, without a tree, Santa didn't have anywhere to leave it. Jax looked out the window at the snow-sprinkled world. Everything was very still. The street in front of them that was usually buzzing with cars had not a single one on it. Everyone was at home opening their gifts and enjoying Christmas together. There had been an old vacant building across the street from them, but the city had torn it down and planted some trees and shrubs there, trying to make a green spot on the street. Jax looked out the window and saw a little evergreen tree dotted with snowflakes. He called his mother to the window and asked, would you let me take my silver star over there and put it on that little tree? I can pretend it's my Christmas tree. Usually his mother would have said no, but since there was no traffic and Jack seemed so excited, and it was Christmas, she said, All right, if you will be very careful. He put on his new cap, jacket, and gloves. He picked up the star and started for the door. His mother reminded him to look both ways before coming and going back although no cars had been by lately. His mother was looking out the window, and just as he got to the door, she said, I see a big pothole in the street. Uh, watch out for it. Jax crossed the street very carefully and was putting the star on a limb of the tree. As he pulled on the limb, something big and orange rolled out. He bent over and picked it up. Surprise! It was Archie! 
He had a big smile on his clean face as the hard rain had washed all the squishy pumpkin off. Jax had a big smile on his face too. He came running back, almost forgetting to look both ways. Luckily, nothing was coming, and Jax came upstairs, two at a time. Look, Mother, that was my Christmas tree, and Santa Claus left my special ball there. Oh, I'm so happy. Jax had his ball. Archie had his kid. They had a very merry Christmas. The End The Bear, the Light, and the Sacred Night by T.M. Gannam Could it ever be that a story was true without it ever happening? You may need to be the judge, because no one has an answer compelling enough for there to be any agreement just yet. In other words, no one really knows for sure the answer to this question or to whether or not the story I'm about to tell you ever really happened. Because it would seem not. Though we might wonder. You see, there is something about this story that rings with such familiarity that it would seem true, even though it would hardly seem possible. You see, the story goes that once early in the world, when there was only one community of humans, the sun stayed on the other side of the earth most of the year, which left most of the days dark, all the way through. Now, thankfully, there was a ball of light that glowed in the center of the village. It brought warmth and visibility to the cold night air, which was otherwise black as jet and so thin as to creep into your bones and hold its chill. Without the light, the cold was a horror that could not be survived. The light was an orb of a white and yellow glow about the size of a butterball turkey, with flares pushing out of it like a baby softly punching with its arms and legs. It hung at eye level in the direct center of the village. While small, its warmth permeated the wee enclave of humans amidst the surrounding world and gleamed off the adjacent mountainside. The light held its shine without fail, and the humans were able to go about their business, offered such security that they had the luxury of forgetting about the light keeping them alive. Once a year, in the coldest of the cold, the people would come together to warm themselves directly by the light for a long bask to soak their bones in its radiant thaw. They called it their sacred night, as they honored that which sustained them and that for which they were so truly grateful. One such sacred night, the people of the world's lone village gathered on the coldest day and formed a perfect circle around the ever-glowing light. They sang songs and spoke of their gratitude for the chance to live and share with each other this marvelous thing called life. Their faces glowed with the reflection of this constant shine, and there was love and joy in their eyes. Back then, each person was of a different color and shade in skin, hair, and eyes, and all lived together as one people. Such uniqueness was seen as oneness, and was celebrated and respected, and the only mention of their differences was to express admiration. 
everyone lived to support one another and the best interest of the village in the way of supporting oneself. Good thing, too, as without such bonding, the small tribe of humans could not have survived. The world was simply too dark, cold, and wild to survive without the support of each and every one and the light that shone in the center of their village was exacted with every expression of care, concern, and love one gave to another. Now, on this extraordinary night, as the sacred night festivities were in full swing, with dancing laughter and song, unbeknownst to the revelers, there was a coming change. Near the top of the mountain lived an enormous bear, magnificent in stature and a consumptive force of nature. It was of a rich mahogany color with eyes and nose so black they disappeared into the night and its fur was a massive blanket of heavy matted pelt. Its sonorous breath was layered in graveled hums that bounced into growls with every loping stride of its grand legs and its broad paws crunched the snow. The bear had retired to its den for the winter and wasn't long into its hibernation when the bear started to lift out of its deep sleep for the terrible chill. The cold was so ghastly, even the bear in its extraordinary overcoat couldn't sleep through the draft. Needless to say, the bear woke up on the wrong side of its den and was quite grumpy to say the least. The bear thought to itself in bear tongue, and its instinct compelled it down the mountainside toward the warmest object on the earth, the spectacular light taking center stage among the humans on their sacred night. The bear loped into the village quietly intent on the light and unconcerned with the humans. As it approached the outside of the sacred circle, the people sensed the bear's presence and made quick room for its passage. As the circle broke, the bear entered without interrupting stride and scooped the light up with its massive paw, leaving its claws widely splayed so as to take no chance of piercing it. After gracefully collecting the light in its right paw, the bear folded the orbed illumination inside its fur along the left side of its chest front and began to retreat to the mountainside, but not before giving a stern, hard stare at each and every human upon its exit. Though the bear left the longest and most menacing stare for a trio of young ones known as Vibi, Zibi, and Mibi, who huddled together in a frozen fright. No one knew why the bear saved such a powerfully reproving stare for these three little ones. Vibi and Zibi were not even half-grown, and Mibi was no more than a quarter-grown. They were good friends and spent most of their time together in their happy pack of three. While the small group of people in the world were already quite pure, this little trio was seen as a perfect example of innocence. Why would the bear make a special point of freezing these wee three with its eyes, 
It was as if the bear knew something. This, of course, made their parents and the rest of the elders quite uneasy, not to mention that their life-sustaining light had been wrested away by a force against which they were no match. Back in these times, humans didn't know anything of violence, and a thought of hurting another had never entered their minds. Even their numbers gave them scarce advantage as they worked in the way of protecting every single one in the village and would leave no one subject to harm. The elders concluded that they must take the entire night to consider their plan to retrieve the light, followed by some brain-restoring sleep, which would hopefully allow them superior clarity come morning. They knew they could take little more than this night, however, as without the warmth of the light, they could not survive long. So the humans of the earth huddled closely together with their backs against the brutal cold of the cold black night and volleyed ideas back and forth and every which way until their brains grew sore for trying so hard and still resulting in no clear course of action. They hoped that sleep would do the trick, as indeed the reservoir of slumber contains an understanding of the world not evident in our wakefulness. Though sleep was hard to come by for the cold and their worry, as it eventually does, sleep finally won out, and the humans' dear minds entered the sublime pool of formless awareness we call dreams. There, deep in their collective slumber, each and every human wore the same dream, which carried the warmth of the familiar trio of Vibi, Zibi, and Mibi climbing up the mountain to the bear's den. However, the dream was incomplete. It offered only their long trek up the mountain, with an implied understanding that they were heading to the bear's den to rescue the light. But the dream went only as far as this. Were they able to rescue the light? Did they survive? The people awoke to discuss their interpretations of the dream they all shared. Vibi, Zibi, and Mibi sat together looking at each other, quite overwhelmed. It would seem that, plan or not, they had no better idea than to honor the dream and let unfold what will. The elders and the people agreed, and Vibi, Zibi, and Mibi accepted they had no choice. It was also agreed on that the children must go alone, as only the we three were in the dream. The parents and elders circled the three, looking down upon their frightened innocence and able to offer only forced reassurance with their eyes. The eldest elder affirmed what their people always say. Remember, the light is us. There was a wordless nod, and the children began the brief flat trek before bracing for the ascent up the mountain. They wore their warmest and wooliest coats, hats, scarves, and gloves, and featured snowshoes that doubled as skis with a simple adjustment. They marched into the black Evanite and thought not of anything but what they had to do to reclaim the light for their people and somehow convince the bear to allow them to do as much. 
They marched with steady crunches in the hard snow and quickly came upon the bear's tracks leading up to its den. They had gone as far as their dream had taken them when the trio could hear the bears snoring as they approached the mouth of the den. This gave them some relief. They would rather deal with a sleeping bear than one wide awake, and it gave them time to consider their approach. Vibi took the lead and made a proposal. I think Mibi, being the youngest, should wait a little bit down the mountain to keep an eye out and be quick to get help. Mibi didn't like this idea. I want to be in there with you. You might need me. We'll be right back. Hey, parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. VB responded, That's right, of course we need you, and we need you to be our lookout. They both looked over at Zibi, who was so overwhelmed with the moment, could only simply nod and give a head shake, asserting nothing. Vibi chimed in again. Remember what our elders say, the light is us. And the three wee ones spoke together in perfect unison. The light is us. And Mibi quickly flipped the snowshoes into skis and hit the downslope gracefully, stopping about midway down. Vibi and Zibi looked at each other for a moment to lock in their commitment to each other and to the task at hand, and proceeded into the den. There the enormous bear with a booming snore lay sleeping on its side, with its gigantic front leg hugging the brilliant orb into its belly, providing quite the thaw for the frigid beast. Vibi and Zibi were warming up rapidly themselves, bundled up as they were, taking on the heat of the bear's lair. They looked at each other with wide eyes and both knew to step back outside the den to take stock of their situation. I'm not seeing this happening, admitted Zibi, who at last sounded confident. We have no choice, Vibi asserted and proceeded to offer a scheme. Zibi, methinks this bear is sleeping so soundly, and with this being our best angle, if you could only tickle its muzzle, it wouldn't awaken but would have to adjust for the irritation. The plan went that the bear's adjustment would hopefully lighten its clasp of the burning globe, and Vibi would snatch the light, and the two would ski to Mibi, who would call out to their family of humans all sort, who stood at the ready to receive them. Zibi had no great feeling for the plan, but had none other to offer, and as Vibi was usually right, they both agreed to move ahead. They flipped their snowshoes to skis to ready themselves for a quick escape, regardless of the outcome. 
Zebi took the ski pole and began to extend it toward the bear's massive face and tapped the tip of its moist snout to which the bear grunted motionlessly. Give it another try, Zebi coached gently. Zebi extended the pole again with a bit of a harder tap and a grunt again, this time with a twitch of the bear's back leg. Getting closer, Vibi encouraged. A bit more of a pop this time. The two attempted several more variations quite diligently, but to only the meagerest of leg twitches. Meanwhile, Mibi was sitting part down the mountain with no clue what was happening, and getting quite restless, decided to begin ascending the slope, continuing forth until approaching the entrance of the den. There, Mibi watched as Vibi and Zibi toiled with harsher agitations to no avail in stirring the enormous bear to release the orb. The sight was so extraordinary to behold, Mibi didn't realize that a sneeze was building. Perhaps it was the cold. Perhaps it was the bear fur. Perhaps it was the embarrassment of getting caught betraying the plan as Vibi and Zibi's jaws dropped when they turned round to see Mibi standing there. Whatever it was, the exceptionally powerful Achoo. with a whistle to boot was the alarm that jolted the bear awake. The bear made motion but was disoriented and the ball of light rolled away from the bear as it struggled to find all fours and Vibi made a beeline for the orb and lifted the light right off the ground and tossed it to Zibi and began the furious descent looking back at Vibi who was plying legs to the slope to gain separation from the now rambling bear. Mibi swooped alongside Zibi to take a turn with the hot torch who handed it over gratefully. Vibi gained high speed down the slope with the bear loping just behind, aided by the extra sliding with each stride. Sparing their hands from the steaming glow, Mibi hurled the light to Vibi, sweeping by as all three continued volleying exchanges to each other, confusing the bear who was aggressively trained on their collective tails. As they approached the bottom of the mountain, they called out to the people below who were straining to understand what they were seeing, the light traipsing back and forth in its descent down the mountainside with the air too black to discern anything else. The people planned to stay together as one in hopes that their solidarity would stockpile a vibrational power that would match the bears, bringing equity and hope for peaceful detente. The wee three skied powerfully into the circle of their human tribe in command of the light, edged their skis to a dramatic halt, and for the first time faced the bear with straight backs, ready to stand off with the beast, empowered by the support of their fellow humans. The light regained its hover in the center of the circle as the bear stopped just feet away, for the first time giving its motivations a second thought. In this quiet second, as all the people, the wee three and the bear, stared at each other, it was so still that they could hear the snow land around them, and they felt a oneness. 
Vibi, Zibi, and Mibi looked into the bear's eyes and saw a need in them. For truly, the bear needed the light as much as they did. They continued to stare deeply into the bear's eyes as if to say, The light is us. And together, the wee three reached into the brilliant light and, braving the burn, pulled out two handfuls apiece of the scintillating glow and tossed them to the towering beast, who absorbed them as they congealed into one orb into the bear's furry chest, satisfied that this was enough light to withstand the winter sleep. The bear gave a grunt. Some say more of a thank you than an I guess this'll do, and loped off back up the mountain to sleep off this quite extended inconvenience. The people looked at each other with bright, warm eyes, waiting until the bear was well away before they erupted in laughter and delight, celebrating the heroism of the we three as the light still shining gloriously with plenty to spare, kept the entire dark side of the earth warm, making this sacred night one for the ages. The End